0: Well, moms, I know you've had some bad moments. (laughs) Every mom does. Every mom knows what it's like to forget a dentist appointment or uh, send your kid to school on picture day in their pajamas or screw up a haircut. But I'm here to tell you, first of all, moms, that God forgives. Amen. (laughs) God forgives sinners. God forgives mothers. And yes, there is some overlap between those two circles. But also I'm here to tell you that it could be worse. Sure, the Halloween costume may not have come together, but have you ever left your child accidentally alone in an attic while you and the rest of the family went to vacation in Paris? We all know that scene from Home Alone when Kate McAllister makes that mistake. I know it's fictional, but it is the ultimate hashtag mom fail moment. And one that every mom can kind of understand, at least. What mother would do such a thing, Kate asks herself there on the plane. Uh, Something that I have heard both my mother and my wife ask themselves in reference to much smaller mistakes. What follows in the movie, of course, is a desperate mama bear trip back to Chicago to be reunited with her child. In order to get there, Kate harangues airline employees, she bribes passengers out of their tickets, uh, and she hitches a ride in the back of a polka truck with John Candy. Nothing is going to prevent her from being reunited to her baby. In thinking about both Mother's Day and our study on the book of Thessalonians, I actually thought of that scene. Uh, There are very few movies, by the way, which have something to do with both Mother's Day and the book of Thessalonians. (laughs) No, that was the. challenge for me. Uh, We've been studying the book of Thessalonians here in our series here at Rooftop called More and More. Uh, These letters, if you don't know, are written by an early Christian missionary guy by the name of Paul. Paul had founded this young church in Thessalonica. He developed this deep personal bond with the believers in Thessalonica. He even calls them his children, and he tells them that he loves them like a mother. As we read back in chapter 2, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. But then Paul is forced to leave town quite suddenly. Doesn't exactly leave his children behind in the attic, but he does leave them. And like Kate McAllister, spends the rest of the movie trying to make his way back. Uh, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians are Paul's best efforts to make contact with the children he left behind in Chicago, whom he is still determined to see face to face. We're studying these letters because they have a lot to teach us about God's will for us, as a church. Uh, God wants to do more and more in our midst. God is doing a lot, but he wants to do more and more, a recurring phrase in the letters. But the letters also have just a lot to teach us about the love of God who loves us like a mother and is desperately trying to make her way back to see us. Uh, let me read to you our passage for the morning after which we'll talk about it. It comes from Paul's letter to Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when He comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way. As you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. Now, this is a really interesting passage. It's it's not very theological, at least not on the surface. It's highly narrative. What I mean is that Paul's doing some storytelling here. He's explaining what happened, as I've alluded to, and as we've sort of discussed. Paul founded this church in the ancient Roman city of Thessalonica uh, with his missionary friends Silas and Timothy, They were a bit too successful in their church planting efforts, though, uh, and they got violently run out of town by uh, leaders of the Jewish synagogue who thought Paul was, like, encroaching on their territory. Paul certainly didn't want to leave town and, like, abandon his new church, but apparently just thought he had no choice. So he, Silas, and Timothy uh, disappeared into the night, living the, leaving the new congregation behind. It happened so quickly, he didn't have the chance to like write a goodbye note or like post a goodbye video explaining his departure. Not only could he not tell his church what happened, but he didn't know what was happening to them. I mean, he heard rumors that the synagogue leaders were like trying to dismantle this, this fragile new church and maybe even undermine his leadership, but he just couldn't be sure. He desperately wanted to find out and know more, but he just he felt he couldn't go back without risking the safety of this congregation that he loved. So he decided to stay away. And maybe we can appreciate the drama and the intensity of that moment. I mean, imagine that all of a sudden your favorite pastor leaves town. Let's say it's Pastor Jeremy. I know he's your favorite pastor. He's cooler, smarter, warmer, and friendlier than me. So let's say that Jeremy gets in trouble with, you know, the Afton Town Council. And he has to leave suddenly without saying goodbye. Nobody has cell phones. Nobody has email. So, you know, you can't communicate with him, and he can't communicate with you. He's just gone. And all of a sudden, you're all on your own under the authoritative pastoral thumb of yours truly. Imagine how you'd feel, how anxious you'd be, and imagine how, you know, Pastor Jeremy would feel, unable to communicate with the church he loves or even explain his departure or just find out what's going on. This is what Paul is talking about here. He he writes to his church to explain he didn't leave town willingly. And, And just because he left town doesn't mean he isn't trying to get back. As he writes in verse 17, But, brothers and sisters, When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. In other words, we we tried to make our way back to see you again. That's all we wanted to do was to see you again. You know that old Miley Cyrus song, I Can't Wait to See You Again? I've been singing that song in my brain all week. I can't wait to see you again. And Paul says he tried, but Satan kept blocking him. Now I don't know how that worked. I don't know how Satan kept blocking him. I don't know if he tried to get into the city, but Satan's like there with a pitchfork. Ah, uh-uh. ah. Uh-uh. <laughs> nope, not getting in. Probably Paul just sensed resistance to his return as the work of the devil. So anyway, he decides to move on. Try again later. As he says in chapter 3, verse 1. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, little Timmy, who is our brother and co worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you. In your faith. Basically, he decides the time is not right for return. Maybe the situation is still just too hot. So they move on to the city of Athens. Paul sends Timothy, one of his representatives, his right hand guys, to go check in on them. Timothy, maybe he's not as radioactive as Paul and he just kind of could sneak in and out undetected. Now, next week, we're going to look at Timothy's report to Paul. It's a very good report that Paul is glad to get. But first, I want to talk a bit about this passage. And Paul's great desire to see the Thessalonians again. I think we get a glimpse into Paul's heart as a pastor here. And even as a Christian. Like I said, Paul loved these Christians like a mother. We get a glimpse into his heart. But not only do we get a glimpse into Paul's heart as a pastor who loves his church like a mother, we get a glimpse into God's heart too. Because the reason Paul loved his church so much like a mother is because that's how much God loves his people. More even, infinitely more. Now I know that the idea of God as mother makes a lot of Christians uncomfortable. And I am not saying, hear me very clearly, that we are here to worship Gaia, the Great Goddess But most theologians would tell you that even though God came to earth as a man, God actually, in his essence, transcends gender. And true enough, God appears to us in Scripture most commonly as a father, yes, but also as a mother, one who cares for us under her wings and nurtures us on her breast. As the prophet Isaiah writes about God, as one comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Maybe that's why I thought of Kate McAllister this week. Yes, God is a father. Yes, Paul is a man. But I don't know a lot of movies that do a better job conveying the desperation of a parent trying to get back to her kids. And this is Paul's same desperation trying to get back to his kids. But here's the thing. The reason Paul loves his spiritual children so passionately, so desperately, is because he is filled with the love of God. The reason he loves the Thessalonians like a mother is because he knows that God does. And that's what I want to look at with you in this passage this morning. What we learn about the love of God from Paul's love for his his children. What do we learn about God's love here? Well, we learn three things, brought to you by the letter P. We learn that God's love pines, God's love protects, and God's love prepares. God's love pines, God's love protects, and God's love prepares. Let's start with the first. We learn that God's love pines. You know what the word pine means? Not talking about conifer trees this morning. Pine means to yearn for, to suffer longingly for. Indeed, Paul yearns for his Thessalonian children, as he writes in verse 17, out of our intense longing, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you face to face. The Greek word that Paul uses here for intense longing is actually the same Greek word that he uses elsewhere to refer to lust. Now, of course here, longing doesn't mean lust. But this is what the word describes, intense, uncontrolled desire to see loved ones. Throughout this passage, Paul is practically doing battle within himself against the circumstances keeping him from seeing his kids. When we could stand it no longer, he writes, I sent to find out about your faith. I, just, I couldn't stand not knowing, not seeing you, So I sent someone else to go check in. Just couldn't stand it. Couldn't wait to see you again. Now, honestly, part of Paul's desire to see his kids is, uh, frankly, a bit selfish. I mean, he glories in his own children. He takes pride in their success. And he wants to see how successful they've been. As he says in verse 19, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul wants to see his children because they're the the jewel in his crown. I mean, without his... Jewel, his crown is a little less bright. He has invested so much into this church with no news about how they're doing. He says he fears that his labors might just have been in vain. It might have all been for naught. You can see that Paul pined for the Thessalonians for mixed reasons. He wanted to make sure they were safe. But he also just wanted to feel like his, his efforts were worth it. His, his labor was worth it. I mean, any parent here knows that feeling. Any teacher or aunt or uncle, the desire to make sure that your, your labor was worth it. I mean, moms, you, you went through great labor to bring these children into the world. Did you not? I've seen it happen a couple times. So that's a, a lot of work, right? <laughs> Laboring to bring someone into the world. And then you got to raise them. That's some hard work. And let's say you were to catch up with your children years later and find out that their you know, their life and their faith had fallen apart. What would that do to your heart? Was it all worth it? Was that labor worth it? Everything we went through to see that your life became this? You'd wonder what Paul is terrified of. Was it all worth it? The real point here, though is that God pines for us this much too. God longs for us, desires to see us face to face, even if we're not really living up to our potential. I mean, God doesn't care if his labor is in vain. He's sort of prepared for the fact that it won't be. Jesus even says this in the Gospels in a highly matronly image. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. So even as we disobey him and resist him, God longs to gather us together as a mother hen. Uh, our, Our God is not some emotionless deity whose heart doesn't break for the creation he made and the people whom he built it for. His heart aches for us. He longs for us. He pines for us. He can't wait to see us again. His heart bleeds for us. God isn't up in heaven, isn't up in heaven trying to care. His heart overflows with compassion for his children. Those of you who have lost children can understand this, maybe even a little bit more. I was talking to somebody before the service. Mother's Day is a complicated day, isn't it? It's a wonderful day for moms everywhere, but a sad day for moms too. Today, many of you are thinking about your mothers whom you've lost. Maybe you're thinking about the children that you're estranged from, or the children who have passed on. You know our story. My wife has lost three children. Two miscarriages and one teenager. She pines for them every day. My point is that that intense longing, that intense longing to see these children face to face is because she's created in God's image and the love of God is inside her and God loves us all that much. The reason we can't wait to see see our children again is because God can't wait to see us again. That's the love of God inside of us. And it's agonizing, isn't it? But that doesn't mean it isn't true and right and holy. God's love pines. Second, God's love protects In Home Alone, uh, Kate McAllister is frantic about what might be happening uh, to her son, Kevin, left alone in the attic. Uh, Her husband, Peter, assures her, Hey, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's all right. We just left our son alone in the attic. It'll be okay. Peter's assurance doesn't stick, though, as Kate knows what kind of trouble children can get into in this world, and little does Kate know that their home is currently under siege from two bumbling cat burglars. Kevin is home alone in a battle for the ages. Paul also knows what can happen in the lives of young Christians and young churches, especially when they're unguarded. He knows what evil lurks about, and it's significantly more threatening than like Joe Pesci and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Daniel Stern, right. The Thessalonians are under attack from more than capital girls. They are under attack from the devil himself. As Paul writes in verse 4, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you. Now, the the tempter is uh, one of many names used in the Bible to refer to the devil, Satan, that being created by God and allowed, even given the responsibility to to tempt or test humanity. Paul knows how much more evil the tempter is than Joe Pesci. He surely remembers Jesus' words, who warns us the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he certainly agreed with the Apostle Peter, who wrote that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to inconvenience. Oh no. Looking for someone to give a bad day. Oh no. Looking for someone to devour. That's the tempter's goal. For us and our children, he's not looking to inconvenience us or give us a bad day. He's looking to kill and destroy us, to, to, to devour us, to keep us from everything God has planned for us. How does he do that? How does the devil do that? How does the devil keep us from everything God has planned for us? Well, what's he called? He's the tempter. He tempts us with all the sins to which he knows we are vulnerable: addictions, laziness, mediocrity, distractedness, materialism, shallowness, moral and sexual compromise. I'm a person, so I know what it's like to be tempted. I'm also a parent, and I know what it's like to feel this sort of panic for how the devil is like going after our children, tempting them in all the ways. And feeling that fierce desire to protect them, to get home, to protect them. I know many of you are too. In fact, I talk with a lot of people as a pastor. And uh, one of the most common conversations that I have with people as a pastor is, frankly, with parents who are worried for their children. One of the most common conversations I have. What do I do about Bobby? Help me with Sandy. And trust me, I know the threats are real. In fact, if you were at our State of the roof meeting a few weeks ago, our like family business meeting, you know, uh, we're looking for a family pastor here at rooftop to help oversee the, the kids in the youth ministries and serve certain families and parents, and we haven't found, found one yet. And in the absence of a youth pastor, I've agreed to lead the youth group. Why? Lots of reasons, including the fact, these are my kids too. And not just like my kids, but my kids. I know the devil, I know the world, I know my kids. And I'm terrified for them in this world. I want to protect them as their pastor. Now, how do I do that? Not entirely sure. I took a different set of classes in seminary. (laughs) Took a lot of Greek word classes, not group game classes. (laughs) But I think we can learn something about how God protects his kids. We can learn something from about protecting kids from how God protects his kids. How, how does God protect his kids? Well, here, here is how God protects his kids. God loves his kids enough so that they know to trust and obey him. That is how God protects his kids. He loves his kids enough so that they trust and obey them. I mean, you know as well as I do that we can't protect our kids forever from everything. We cannot monitor their devices all the time, right? We cannot supervise them all the time. We cannot drive wherever they're going all the time. Sure, we can put our little apps on and like see where they're at in the city or in the house, you know, but we're not gonna be able to do that all the time. All we can really do in the long run is love them enough so that they trust what we tell them is right and good and true. Uh, My daughter is in a youth production of Footloose down at the Grand Dell this week. It's a great show. There are still tickets available for today's Mother's Day matinee performance. Uh, But if you know Footloose, anybody see Footloose in the 80s? You know, the original version. Um, But this is what the show is about. It's about some mean old pastor dad who doesn't want his daughter dancing and having fun out of fear of what the world might do to her. And in an effort to protect her, he ends up driving her away. And he has to realize that if he's loved and taught her properly, she will trust what he has to say about good and bad. If he hasn't, she won't. God protects us like that. He tells us what's good for us. He tells us what's bad for us. But he also tells us, and more importantly, he shows us how much he loves us and that he can be trusted Parents, some of you do a pretty good job telling your kids what's good and bad. But do you do as good of a job telling your kids how beloved they are as children of the Father? Do we do as good of a job telling them that as tempted as they are by the world, by sex, by dancing, by drugs, by bad people, by all the things in Footloose, that God will always be there for them? Even if we aren't, God will be. And that's what's really interesting to me about this Thessalonian situation. You see, as much as Paul wanted to be with his children in Thessalonica, he wasn't able to be. He couldn't be there. But he finds out later, spoil alert, that they're doing okay. The kids are all right. They were staying strong in the face of evil attacks. Paul had loved them enough with the love of God that they had trusted God to help resist the tempter. God's love pines. God's love protects by showing us he can be trusted. And lastly, God's love prepares. Prepares for what? For his arrival. God's own arrival. As Paul writes in verse 18, For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. This is actually a really interesting verse um, that I hope I can communicate to you. Um, Paul is very, very, most certainly drawing a, a, a very intentional parallel between his coming to Thessalonica and the Lord's coming to earth. This is what he says. We wanted to come to you to glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes to you. So the Greek word that Paul uses there for the coming of the Lord is the word parousia. It's a really important Greek word in the Bible. It's used to refer to the future coming of Jesus. And during his time on earth, Jesus talked about his coming, his parousia. And uh, the prophets and the apostles look forward to the coming when, when the Lord would return and judge sin and redeem the earth. But interestingly, this word parousia is not original to Christianity. The word parousia was a word used to refer to the arrival of Roman emperors to cities under their control. So as you can imagine, it was a monumentally big deal to have a Roman emperor arrive to your city. It even had a term, the parousia. It took years to prepare for this. Cities like Thessalonica spent unimaginable resources getting themselves ready for the parasia, the parousia of King Caesar. In fact, I remember reading something years ago about how much work was involved in getting a city ready uh, for a royal arrival. Um, Back in 1967, for example, uh, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth made her first trip to New York and she just popped in, Queen Elizabeth did, but Her Majesty's Royal Service had been on the ground for like a year with hundreds of people making sure everything was ready. This is what Paul is saying. I want to come to you to prepare you for the coming of the king, the queen mother, Paul can't make it, which is agonizing to him. I can't be there to help you get ready for the coming of the king. So what does he do? Well, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send Timothy. And what was Timothy's assignment? Get them ready. Get them ready for the visit. How? Paul writes that he sends Timothy to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith. And that's how we get ready. By growing and being encouraged in our faith. That's what? The king, the queen mother, wants to see when she gets here. Faith, trust, belief. Even Jesus says as much in the Gospels. When the Son of Man arrives, will he find faith on the earth? Faith in what? Faith that we didn't give up. Faith that we didn't give in to the tempter. And faith that when we did give in to the tempter, we accepted Christ's atoning death for our sins. And faith that we never gave up hoping that we'd see God again. I know he's been gone a long time. Mom's been away for quite a while. But faith that no matter how lonely we felt in our big empty house, with burglars about, that we never forget that God, who loves us like a mother, is on her way. She's bribing passengers to get on planes. She is hitching rides in polka trucks. She is knocking over fellow passengers in the airport to get to a phone. She's doing anything she can just to see us again face to face and one day she will get here she will walk in the front door look around yell out your name Kevin Dave Sally whatever your name is hoping that you're still there hoping that you had faith and hopefully we will appear on the steps run into our mother's arms who finally made her home And that's my invitation to you this morning. The Lord will eventually appear. He loves us that much. He can't wait to see us again. Don't interpret his absence as a lack of a desire to see you. He can't wait to see us again, and eventually he will. Will he find faith in you when he gets here? If you want to declare your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you can. We would love to talk to you more about how to be prepared for the arrival of the coming king. And it's simple how you get prepared. Here's how you get prepared. You declare your faith. In Jesus, you repent of your sins and you get baptized for forgiveness. That's it. That's how you get prepared. That's how you get ready.